0: Hey, my brother. Oh my goodness, it is uh, and it's an amazing honor to be able to, to be doing this interview with you. That's, uh, that, man,
1: it is my honor. <laughs> nice to meet you.
0: Thank you very much. So it, it is about three o'clock here in the UK. Um, oh. And um, I know a lot of my viewers are based in the UK, based in Australia, based in Nigeria and parts of Africa and in North America. Um, but... For those who are based in the US, they'll be very familiar with you. Um, I went to college in the US in 92, and um, and part of my orientation was to sit and watch BET and to oh, oh, watch BET and to see you talking to my favorite artists, um, even the ones I never knew, like Joe to see Mary J when they were new. And so there's, there's, there's a, there's a, there, was a, there was a magic to watching you making guests feel at home so over the, oh, wow. this over this time it's going to be as i said apart from, uh, yourself larry king are the people that i admire as tv as as host as as everything so yeah so yeah but international audience it's always great for us to start just where you sort of born and raised and 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 we start from there okay uh, man i was
1: born in motown
0: Detroit, oh. Michigan. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. I grew
1: up under all of that, man. You know, which probably explains why I'm so into music, the music lover that I am. I mean, I grew up as a little kid, man, watching every Cadillac that went by, hoping to see Smokey Robinson or one of the Temptations or Riso
0: or, or one of their cousins. I would have been wow. just as excited. <laughs> wow, you goodness. Growing up in that time, g- g- was were they accessible? unlike how artists are now, where they accessible? Could you see and talk to them? Because I think we see the Motown office just seems like it was on the streets. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, you know what? I I started in the business so young that they were accessible to me. Uh, I was on the radio. I started on the radio at 15 years old. Wow. And, uh, you know, so Eddie Kendrick, so The Temptations, I remember Eddie would come by the radio station and just hang out with me. He'd come by with a six-pack of beer. I mean, I didn't even drink. I'm 16 <laughs> years old. You know, but he would just sit there we're not interviewing. He's just hanging out. You know, that was Detroit at the time. I would play uh, three or four Smokey songs in a row. Smokey would call on the request line. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness. He would call on the request line. Hey, Donnie, I'm listening, man. you playing my music. Same thing happened with uh, Stevie. You know, I mean... It was, that was just the magic of Detroit at that time, man. It was amazing. And the guys right before me, you'll love this. Um, Because I started in 1969, the same year as Jackson 5. But uh, the guys right before me would tell me stories about how the producers at Motown would come to the radio station like late at night. And they would bring acetates, which were press uh, 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 test pressings of their songs, and get them to play it on the radio. And they'd run out to the car and listen to it. Because they wanted to know what it felt like on the radio before they did their final mixes. Wow. You know? So that, that was pretty cool, man. It was, uh, it was a cool time to be growing up in Detroit. You know, it was awesome, man. But I, the first time I met weird. Marvin Gaye, I was with uh, Ronnie Banks of the Dramatics. And so we were going down the street. Marvin lived about two miles down from me on the same street. And uh, so we saw Marvin going into his, he was in the driveway, Gary house. Ronnie right. said, "Man, let's stop and yell at Marvin." I said, "All right, cool." I was 16, and uh, so we inter- he introduces me, and Marvin says, "Yeah, man, I listen to you every
0: night." <laughs> I'm like, <went>, "Whoa, really?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, but how did you get into? I mean, when you grew up, what, what was your dreams or aspiration? Was it to sing, or was it to, to? What would you? What was your hope? Well, you, you won't believe it, but my.
1: Uh, Original ambition. My first ambition in life was to be a Baptist minister. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And somewhere along the line, George Clinton turned me out,
0: (laughs) and here I am. (laughs) Oh, but but how did that's a I mean, I mean during the civil rights movement, everything and Martin Luther King. I mean, that's a dramatic shift from from that. I mean, what what was the, Were you inspired by Dr. Luther King and others to want to be a Baptist minister?
1: Without doubt, I mean, when I was in uh, wow, middle school, I remember going around to classrooms on his birthday and delivering his entire "I Have a Dream" speech. I wow. also had it memorized. You know, that's how much he meant to me, um, every word of it, man. And um, you know, but it wasn't just Dr. King for me. You know, from a music perspective, James Brown gets to assist with that. Uh, Curtis Mayfield. You know, uh, when I was 14, that was when James released Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. Yeah, yeah. And and that was, I mean, like a turning point in my life, you know, because we used to be ashamed of that. You know, people, who you calling black? You know, that kind of thing, man. And but James taught me to be be proud of that. That was the most significant song ever to me. Nothing could ever top it. It just completely changed, you know, not just my attitude. I think I speak for a whole lot of people with that, but that was a significant moment, you know, and then many years later, I uh, was hanging out with Reverend Al Sharpton one night, and you know, James practically raised Reverend Al, oh. and oh yeah, <laughs> and so Reverend was telling me how, he said, man, we sit there with Mr. Brown, and there was a uh, a video, a documentary that I was a part of. And I was saying basically what I'm telling now, you know how significant this song was, most important song in history in all of us. And he said, man, Mr. Brown would say, back it up, play that again. Play that again. <laughs> 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 he said, he would make us play it four or five times. And then he'd go, you know what he said there? He said, the most important song in history. <laughs> not black like history, history. That's my man right there. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you ever get to meet him? Oh man, yes. James was, uh, you know, me and James became friends, and, but, but, you know, still, he was my king. You know, even though we became friends later, we would stay in touch, you know, we'd call each other and all that. I, I was still a villager, and he was my king. And uh, as a matter of fact, I used to tell him that, James, you are my king. I'm your soldier. There's nothing I wouldn't do for you. And I meant that, man, because of what that pride that he instilled in me, you know? But to hear Reverend Al tell me that night, that story to know that something I said meant something to him yeah. was significant, man. But yeah, when James was, oh my God, James was just such a king. When he would come on Video Soul, I mean, it was just always such a special moment for us all. I mean, just a true legend, man. Yeah, You know, love that man.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, as I said, somebody like him who, you know, even when you have someone like Michael Jackson say how inspired he was by James and learned a lot from him, and 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 I and I guess there are generations coming now that don't remember, won't remember, recognize because. Um, in the 80s and 90s everyone was sampling James Brown and so we all knew about James through yeah. New Jack Swing or, or, or Uptown because everyone was sampling James Brown so we got to know him then but I think yeah the generations now need to be reminded about not only his music but how he was a civil rights fighter right. in his own right. way. Yeah what he meant to us
1: was so significant man uh, but you talk talking about when he got out of prison uh, they asked me to host this concert uh in in his honor when he after he you know when he went through his stuff and they got out of prison and it was in Los Angeles and it was star-studded man I mean the audience and the stage everybody was there as a matter of fact um I introduced Dan Aykroyd who well I did the whole show I was host for the whole show but Dan Aykroyd was actually the person who brought James onto the stage right it's one of the. (laughs) <laughs> the Blues Brothers. Yeah, the- he came out and did that whole spiel that James used to do. You know, a man with 748 suits, 689 pairs of shoes. The names of all of his songs written on the back of his slur jet. So, brother number one, two, two and a half, three, and four. James, right? You
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness.
1: <laughs> it was awesome, man. But when James was doing, I'll never forget it, because all the young acts were... You know, in the audience watching and stuff. And I'm looking out there, man, and I saw a new edition sitting there. Wow. And James, when he did it, it's a man's world. And he would, you know, it's what us old timers would call taking his time. <laughs> <laughs> He's lost in the wilderness. <laughs> they were jumping out of their seats, they were they were going crazy, man. Yeah. It was just so awesome to me to see that man, to see yeah. you know him schooling the next
0: generation, man. That this is how you do it, man.
1: A real showman. Yeah, real
0: showman. Man. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think New Edition, as you have taken on that, because they're pro- they're still one of our premier modern day groups that people still revere because of their sh- showmanship, and and it's, it's great that you shared that story that they were there because yeah. we can see it now.
1: Well, it's like, uh, I mean, the other part, you know, new addition the stepping and stuff. I mean, that's a direct derivative of the temptations of Motown. I mean, they were that level. They, they were taught, just like any Motown artist will tell you, you know, I don't care how big they got, twice a week, they went to, what do they, not finishing school, whatever they called it, where they were taught to be showmen, yeah. you know, and that that's what would give them longevity. And then you look at that. Yeah, four top still tour. Temptation still fifty-seven years still at it, wow. still doing their thing. Same thing with New Edition. They're that same kind of act because yeah. they have that level of commitment to uh, to, to performance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I got mad respect for New Edition.
0: Yeah. <laughs> how did you get into music then, uh, the radio at at fifteen? Because that's that's I mean, I, and I and I and I don't know how Detroit was. Because if this, the home of black music was in Detroit, it must be competition yeah. to get into radio or TV and stuff. So how did you...
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's very competitive, but I was, I was very, very fortunate, man. I My mother owned a record shop from the time I was 12. Simpsons Record Shop in Detroit. A little mom-pop joint, you know. And um, people used to come in there all the time because I had this heavy voice. My voice changed uh, the summer between seventh and eighth grade and so people would come into record shop and go god you sound like a dj you ought to be a dj you know all the time was in one ear out the other i wanted to be a baptist minister <laughs> uh, but then, but then one day she had a uh, broadcast one of the local djs came in and did his radio show from the record shop you know they just had a little portable glass and closed booth that you know he drove up out front and they sat there for three hours and he did his show from there so he invited me in to announce the specials. You know, we got The Temptations, greatest hits on sale this hour for $1.99, whatever. So, well, two things happened. Um, people that heard me on radio, then they came in and go, man, you sound just like a DJ. I was like, wow, okay. But bigger than that was sitting there watching him with his headphones on, man, grooving to the music, man. I was just lost in it, man. I was like, I could do that. I could do that. And that was the very day I became, that I fell in love with radio. And the radio station that this guy was from was called, it was WJLB. And they had a group called the WJLB Soul Team Reporters, one reporter from each public high school in Detroit. And uh, I became the reporter for my school. We recorded these little, 60-second spiels that ran once a day. Uh, and, you know, it was, you know, seniors, don't forget, cap and gown, are next Friday. We got a bake sale Tuesday. Uh, we beat Pershing <laughs> High last week, 54 to 48. Uh, our number one song is, and our lovers of the week are. You know, wow. just high school stuff. Yeah. So, but because I had this heavy voice, I got so popular from doing it. And uh, so they started putting me on on weekends for like three hours on Saturdays. And that lasted for about three months. And then they fired a the guy who worked eight to midnight, weeknights, and said, well, we need you to sit in for him for a week to give us time to find someone else. I sat there for seven and a half years. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> yep, yeah, that was my break, man, at 15. You know, I mean, I was so young, man, I couldn't even do my whole show live because I couldn't. My show was from eight to midnight. Yes. You know, oh, Angeles, I couldn't work past 1030. So I'd go to school, go to the radio station, record my last hour and a half. Oh. Then i had have to go home and do homework, have dinner, go back at 8, do the show live from 8 to 8 to, eight to 10.30, and put up on tape and leave, you know. So, But, but what a blessing that was to get a start like that. You know, Detroit at that time was the fifth largest market in the country. You know, so usually, you know, you start in smaller markets and work your way up. Yeah. I started in the fifth largest market in the country, man, and uh, had number one ratings just, you know, it was crazy. It was it it was, it was a crazy, crazy scene, man. It was just like, you know, I remember going to sock hops. The Temptations would, you know, I'd call them. They'd
0: say, yeah, man, we'll come
1: by your sock hop. We gotta, you know, a little dance after school, you know, and they'd come by and do a song for me and, you know, wow. but I could never leave i could never announce my last song always had to disappear because the girls would go crazy it was i mean running down the street from the girl had my clothes ripped they don't rip them off anymore
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh because the people know you with your the people know you physically as well then not just your voice
1: oh yeah yeah very quickly which always amazed me from from radio in particular, you know, how do they know me? Because so you're driving down the street, hey,
0: Donnie Simpson,
1: it's like, whoa. You know, it was it was weird. But, but I gotta tell you this too, that um, it was a weird experience for me because I hated it. I hated being singled out. You know, I hated walking in places and, you know, it's Donnie Simpson, it's Donnie Simpson, I, I didn't like autographs. I, I couldn't understand why. My thing was like, all right, I'll give you my autograph if you give me yours. <laughs> 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 and it was, just, it was just a weird thing to me. But then one day, my, uh, my best friend in Detroit was a guy named Lim Barney. Uh, he's Hall of Fame cornerback for the Detroit Lions. As a matter of fact, you'll love this. He, Lim and his playing, one of his playmates, that sounds like kid stuff, (laughs) one of his teammates, (laughs) Teammates. (laughs) Mel Farr, were the two guys that opened up the beginning of What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. Hey, brother, yeah, what's happening? Yeah, like solid, right on. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) those those are my boys. Wow. So, 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 so Lim one day told me, he said, Donnie, he called me Bug, because in Detroit, I was Donnie Love bugs, so, <laughs> you know, you have a handle, man. oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So, uh, he said, You know, man, it's very noble. I hear what you see talking about not wanting to do autographs and stuff. He said, You know, and I, I totally get it, it's it's very noble. But you know what they say when they get home? I met Donnie Simpson today, and he wouldn't give me his autograph. Ah. So, wow, that's pretty deep, and so. I just changed. Plus, it was much quicker to just do it than to try <laughs> to have that conversation
2: every time. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. You know,
1: it was just always weird to me. I I, I'm, I, still suffer from this thing where I just feel uh, not worthy, you know, uh, not worthy of that attention, not special, not, you know, I just, I don't know. I've always been like that. Just, um, I, you know, it's a weird thing. You know, it's You know, it's like you you get it. I mean, I I understand the popularity to some degree, especially as it gets later in life. You're forced to look back at things. But uh, I don't know. You know, like one of the most watched moments ever from Video Soul is when I did a two-hour special with Aretha Franklin from her house just outside of Detroit in Bloomfield Hills. And sitting there at the piano with her, and she starts singing Curtis Mayfield's song, "The Makings of You," and add a little sugar, honeysuckle, and I just lost it. I just, I just started crying. You know, we're recording the special. I just started crying because there was so much in that moment to me. It was, uh, first of all, the greatest voice I've ever heard in my life is singing to me one on one in my ear. This is the queen. I'm sitting on her throne and I just didn't know how I got there. You know what I mean? It was, it was too much for, how did this little boy used to look for a Cadillac? End up here, you know, and then, and and then let me take this all the way to the end. Um, Her funeral, I went to her funeral in Detroit and, um, as I'm walking down the aisle when I first got there and the casket's laying there, she's got these two big early bodyguards at either end of the casket. And uh, as I get up to her, you know, I wanted so badly to touch her. But I didn't know if that was allowed. You know, I, I've never been to a royal funeral before, yeah. you know, and uh, but before I know it, my hand is on her man, and lo and behold. They didn't pick me up by my elbows and take me away, you know? And it was that moment I realized that although you're a villager, she is your queen, and she belongs to all of us, yeah. you know? And you are worthy, Yeah. you know? And uh, it was just a very deep moment for me, man. Uh, I just truly, truly, truly love that woman. I've never heard a voice. I've never heard anyone sing with more passion. There's no one that moves me more yeah. than Aretha Franklin. That no man. one that feels a song more than Aretha
0: man. I mean for, for 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 our generation who didn't get to see sort of the best of it. I mean we we would know her when she sang with George Michael, knew you you know, in the eighties, so we'd seen a different we didn't get to see her back in the sixties and the seventies. Um, what was different about her singing and 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 her as a, yeah. it was just what passion.
1: no one can match that. I mean, had an incredible voice, there's no question about that. But just it's like even though Aretha didn't write, I would say, most of those songs, oh, okay. when you hear them, you'd feel like there's no way she didn't write this. That she has this hat this this has to be from her, you know, oh, okay. but she just would just take that song, man, and it it just became her, just, I mean, oh, God, one song, Until You Come Back to Me, every time I would hear that song for I don't know how long, there's one section when that song would play that I would just cry, you know, and I don't mean to sound like some sappy punk, (laughs) you know, but I do cry often when I listen to music. And sometimes it's not that it's, it's so good to me. Yeah. You know, I'm moved by it. And, but this one song, I uh, it must be like
2: living in a t- uh,
1: uh But anyway, hear my plea? That section there, every time I would cry. And uh, when she died, the night before her funeral, Stevie Wonder was here in Washington, D.C., performing. As a matter of fact, they moved Aretha's funeral back to that Friday because of Stevie's commitment that Thursday, because they wanted him there. So they moved her funeral back one day to accommodate Stevie. So I'm at the concert, and I didn't know this. Stevie, at this point in the concert, acknowledges the Queen's death. And he says, I want to play a song. It's a song I wrote for Aretha. And he plays until you come back to me. And I go, I had no idea. And when he gets to that section, he lost it. He lost it. He just started crying. The same section I've been crying on for all these years. You know, right. it was just such a spiritual moment for me yeah. to, you know, friends too. And to learn of that connection that I didn't know of. all these years, this thing has moved me so. But I didn't know But that was one of the reasons why. This
0: is this is Stevie too, you know. So uh, no, and- no, I, you know, and I think one of the things that you know, I, I, people, you know, that I always noticed when I used to see you on TV was that you, 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 you had your famous sort of squint, but you always looked at the kid at the you know whatever if it's Jodeci, SWV, any of them, and you're almost as if somebody just you know somebody said, "Hey, Donnie." I want to introduce you to my friends, uh, Jodice. And you say, okay, and and the way you interview them was very much like a, hey guys, how's it going? And you know, these guys had just been signed first interview and you'd always make them at home, relaxed and welcome. And, and they didn't have to worry about you trying to corner them with some tricky questions. And it, that's what I personally used to look at and just be so mem- mesmerized. Um, as to how you made people feel relaxed, and uh-uh. and, and that's missing from because now everyone's afraid of being cornered. But uh, where did that come from? Because that's very natural. It wasn't. I didn't seem as if you went to journalist school to do that. So, I mean, where did that type uh, of interview no. style come from?
1: Well, first of all, let me thank you for that. I, you could not have given me a bigger compliment. <laughs> that the, the compliment, the two compliments that I've always appreciated most in my career from listeners or viewers was that you know thanks for broadening my ears you know that i play different music thanks for broadening my ears but for guests it was what you just said thanks for making me feel so comfortable you know and there's no trick to it it's just as natural as can be bro i'm telling man let me tell you if every single act that ever came on video Soul my producers would give me a bio and a list of questions. And i go, okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Every time, I've never read either. Never read either. You know, Because to me, I felt like if I read the bio, the chances are that I'm gonna ask them the question that they've been asked a thousand times, because the bio led you to that anyway. Yeah. And what's wrong? It's just like what you just said. To me, there's nothing wrong with, hey, what's up? Luther, how you doing, man? Where are you from? That's how people start conversations. That's yeah. very natural. Where are you from? I'm from Philadelphia. Oh, Sixers fan? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, man. You know, and then, you know, he's to whatever, wherever it goes. But I think that the, the, the biggest component to that is, listening. Yeah. You know, it's listening, man. Uh, that's the key to it to me. Uh, if you watch any of my interviews, nine times out of 10, the next question I ask is from something they just said. Yeah. You know, because I'm listening. Whereas you see so many interviewers where you say you got a list of questions that you're going to get through. And no matter what, it's just going through the list.
2: Yeah. I never want
1: it, to, it's supposed to be a conversation, man. You know, and when people say, man, when I watch video so I feel like I'm sitting on the couch with you and Jonas. Yeah, That's the way it's supposed to feel. You know, so it's, you know, it's not, like you said, it's not something I was taught in journalism school or, you know, I mean, shoot, I was on radio before I got to journalism yeah. school.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but how, from, from that, though, how did you transition? I mean, okay, I, okay before we talk about, because you've been seven years at the station and you had Motown at uh, Detroit where... The Jacksons and everyone was coming up. I mean, when does it stop becoming starstruck when you're seeing the Jacksons or uh, and and the, the Temptations and Diana Ross and everything, and and it just becomes the regular people that are even actually looking for you for to help put their music yeah. out. It's that's a that's a very good question, and I'm not sure
1: and I'm going to ask answer it, but I think my answers would be conflicting okay. <laughs> because. I feel like because I was around all of these people from such an early age, that it's like the only life that that I know. You know, I met Michael Jackson. Good God. I was, Michael was probably, I was, I know I was 17. No, 16. And Michael must have been 14 or something like that. You know, when I first met Michael. So, you know, I mean... To be, and I told you, I met Marvin Gaye at sixteen, and Smokey, and all these people. So, yeah. So it's hard to trip on that. Now, with that said, I still trip on that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, really, it's you know, phone rings and my wife says, "Donnie, Stevie's on the phone." You know, or Smokey, or you know, playing golf out with Michael Jordan playing golf. You know, we would play every day when he was here playing in, in Washington. And uh, you know, while we're just we're boys, and you're not tripping on that all the time, there are times when you're there and you go, that's Michael Jordan." <laughs> you know, I mean, really, it's like, so. You know, but with with that said, I should say this too that I have the same level of love and respect. For that guy mowing the grass on that golf course while we're playing, or the janitor building, as I do for President Obama, who I see all the time, or you know, Smokey or, or anybody else. You know, I, I love people. Just truly, truly love people. And I treat everybody the same. I, you know, that's what you see on Video Soul, when you see that eye-to-eye contact when I sit down. Because I am genuinely interested in you. Yeah. I, I want to know you. I want to know who you are. I want to know your kids. What's your story? You know, we were getting ready to write my biography, which is on hold now. But, you know, the, the guy that first presented the idea to me, David E. Talbert. Um, I don't know if you know him. but Well, David is a great movie director and producer now. Uh, He's done some really good stuff. You should look him up, David E. Talbert. As a matter of fact, his last movie, Jingle Jangle, was done in the UK. And, uh, but he did Baggage Claim and some other really good movies. But he wanted to write my biography. And uh, because we were telling, and I'll tell you this story too, because I was telling him the story of Elton John and Benny and the Jets one night. And um, so he said, you know, man, you need to write a book. Your story is fascinating. And I said, yeah. Well, it is fascinating, only in the sense that everyone's story is fascinating. If you just sit and take the time to listen, I don't care who it is. I don't care who it is. They have a fascinating story to tell, man. Yeah. You know, and that's why I look at it. I feel like you know it should be required that before you leave this earth, you have to put your book on the shelf. Yeah,
2: yeah, you know?
1: yeah. yeah. What, what's your story? What happened to you while you were here?
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know. But- but the, the stories that do make it are, uh, are the ones where we... Because the hardest thing to be is to be um, considerate and be patient and be kind because we don't seem to have time and, mm-hmm. and we're always thinking ahead, always thinking about our own agenda. And so people like, like you know, when you do, yeah, people like we talk about Martin Luther King who gave his time and his life of course, I mean that's why his uh, stories are inspirational. And as you know, as a music fan, seeing you talking and and making people feel at ease, whether it's Ro- uh, Roger Trapman yes, yes, you, you, he was really into his talk box, and here you are, really into it, trying to and trying to make him feel like, well, this is important. This seems good, and and so so that's that take that's his patience, which. Most of us struggle with. And Now, I'm a mental, health, I'm a therapist, so I'm I'm trained to listen and to hear and to and to use that. So that's what I do when I'm. When my nine to five is being a therapist and, and oh, listening, and, and listening to so. Yeah. Uh, and I'm trying to. I use that in, in, when, when I'm doing this, but you know, but to see yourself and Larry King is the same. But not too many people are like the two of you in that way of making a guess. Say, I'm listening to you, I hear you, and I'm not here to to put holes for you. I'm just here to listen to you tell your story, and actually to make your story better than you think it could have been. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I am there to listen. Um, You know, I never participated in that kind of gotcha journalism, you know. But at the same time, if there's something delicate that we need to get into, I will. You know, I uh, remember having Jodeci on once. And there were a couple of rape charges against a couple of the guys in the group. And, you know, everybody knew about it. This was a big story. And uh, so right before the show, uh, my producer comes in and says, well, you can't ask him about the rape charges. I go, okay. And uh, then 10 minutes later, their manager comes in. Now, you know you can't ask him about the rape charges. I know, I get it. One more time before they come out, producer, Donnie, now you know you can't ask them about rape charges. I go, yeah, I get it. I get it. They come onto the set. I said, you know I got to ask you about the rape charge. <laughs> <Yeah>. Let's go. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, first of all, to me, I just always felt like if, if if you're going to restrict me, then don't come. There should be no restrictions. You know, I don't, you know, especially since I'm not that kind of journalist. Yeah you, 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 yeah, you do. Yeah, you feel know? that, yeah. People feel comfortable. I got you. But let's go through this. I'm going to ask you because if I don't, then it looks like I'm not doing my job. Like, I don't know. You know, we have to address it. So, yeah. you know, but people feel comfortable with you, even with something that delicate, you know. Yeah. So, so it was cool, you know. <clears throat> but, you know, i that's one thing that I cherish is that they do have that kind of comfort level with me, you know. Yeah. And, and, and so that always makes for a different interview, too
0: because of the level of comfort that the guest has with you,
2: yeah, you know? and you the
0: level it. of respect. Yeah, but mm-hmm. when you built it, it it's, what, it's, not, it's something that you, you've shown in, in, with, with every interview that you've had, yeah. and, and they go away knowing, knowing that. But how did you transition from uh, radio to, to, to television?
1: Yeah, well, I, was, uh, I moved from Detroit to Washington, D.C. in uh, 1977
0: doing radio and uh were, and then, were, you, you know, were you were you sort of pulled, i mean after seven years at your station were you sort of headhunted to or, or was it just yeah 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 i
1: it was, you'll love this call I, I got a call one night on the uh was it the hotline yeah it must have been hot. i don't know how this guy got the hotline number maybe it was request line i don't know but um says hi It's a big official voice you know hi donnie simpson is this donnie simpson i go yes Hi, this is Bob Henneberry from NBC in New York. And I went, come on, yeah, who the hell is this real? <laughs> <laughs> uh, because your boys would call you, and you know, because um... I'm radio. These are radio people. They'd call and yeah. put on that official voice and go, you know, that yeah, man, this is Claude, man. <laughs> I just called, what you doing? Later? <laughs> yeah, <that's> good, <laughs> you know? But this was legit. And he wanted to know if I was interested in going to this radio station in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, called WKYS Disco ninety three, which <laughs> right away from that title, I was like, "Yeah, I'm not interested in that." Because disco meant, you know, that's not that I had anything against disco music. Don't get me wrong, a lot yeah. of it I love, yeah, but just something devoted strictly to that. <laughs> you know, I'm used to, like I said, I like it broad. It's broadcast yeah. to me. So, um, but he brought me in because it was something my oldest brother always taught me that you should at least listen Wow! you know at least listen so I came it was the weirdest thing man they picked me up at the airport took me to Arlington Cemetery for an interview that's here in America that's where uh, where, uh, where President Kennedy rests where all of the military that's the highest honor to rest at Arlington Cemetery I was like Dang, I really am in Washington, D.C. This is so clandestine. This is like a <laughs> CIA interview. <laughs> what? Arlington Cemetery. It was the weirdest thing, but they didn't want me to go in uh, to the station because the guy that I would be re- replacing would to two and two together or whatever. Yeah. So uh, anyway, the station was something other than just disco. And uh, for the first year and a half I was here, it was just, it was a nightmare. I was uh, ready to leave. As a matter of fact, I had a job offer to go to Los Angeles. Um, but then they made me program director, which I didn't want to do. Uh, I just, I just like doing my show. You know, that, that's, always, that's always been the way, my way, is you know, I, like, I don't like politics, I don't like office politics. I'm in the back door, I do my show, and I'm out the back door, I'm gone. You know, I, all I want is the music and the show. That's, that's all I want. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's wrong, you know, but that's what keeps me focused. That's the way I like it. You know, I come in, like, to this day, I have such strange things, man, but like, I will not listen to music until I get on the air because that moment is that much more magical for me. When I sit down there and put on those headphones and hear music for the first time that day, I'm in heaven, man. I'm in heaven, let's go, you know? So, um, so, so so. anyway, uh, they eventually, they maybe they, you know, we were in 16th place in the ratings and I hated losing, you know, in Detroit, we were just runaway number one all the time. Here we're 16th, I'm like, well, I can do better than that. I don't know what, what programming is. But, so I just went in with common sense, like I do to everything and take this out, put this in and, Nine months we went from 16th place to number one, wow, and it was just gone. We would be number one in every single demographic from 12 year olds to 70 year olds, everybody, everybody. And so, um, in a contract negotiation one year, ah. about 18, yeah, because this was owned by NBC, wow, so they had their television there, so they just sweetened the deal, they offered me. Uh, an opportunity to do television. I became the backup sportscaster for a guy named George Michael. It was lit, not, not your George Michael. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. okay. This is the George Michael sports machine. But he's legendary here in the States because they consider his, his show to be the precursor to ESPN.
0: Oh, and yeah, 24-hour
1: sports. Yeah. So, anyway, I was his backup, and uh, I did that for about two and a half years. But during that time... I got a call from BET asking me if I would be interested in doing this show called Video Soul. Uh, At first, I wasn't uh, because um, I only have image to sell. That's it. I can't give you 20 rebounds a night. You know, Um, it's just image. So I'm very protective of that image. Mm -hmm. Um, BET in its infancy wasn't a very pretty baby, Yeah. okay? But I thought about it for two days, and it came down to this, that this is our first black television network. If you have something to offer, you have to do it. Yeah. Let's go. And I did it, man, and I'm so glad I did. You know, I mean, what an amazing ride that thing was, you know. But, by the way, I had a show in Detroit. God, I was... I must have been 17 or 18 years old at a TV show called, was it called The Real Side or something? Like, it was so bad, my mama wouldn't watch it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was truly the beginning. But, uh, you know, but then the Video Soul happened, man. And it was just, uh, you know, Video Soul was so great for me. It just, it put me in every nook and cranny of this country and, and in several other countries. Yeah, you know, and it's the reason I'm sitting here talking to you
0: today in the UK. Yeah, but I, I, the question I had though, is because if you're in Detroit, Motown, you all these, all these, the, the, the music was still there even in the seventies. Um, I know it slowed down a little bit in the eighties, but um, why make the move from the number five market in the in the country to D- Washington DC? I mean, was that a hard yeah. thing to do? Well.
1: There were some things that went into, into the thought process. Well, Washington was number eight at the time. Uh, but, but here's the number one reason. There, I was making, I can tell you the numbers, uh, $13,000 in Detroit. And they were offering me 285.
0: dollars Okay. Yeah. More than double your salary. Okay. <laughs> That's a big difference.
1: But, you know, again, at that point, you're young and don't know a whole lot. I didn't realize the cost of living was three times as much, and I was broke <laughs> as hell. <laughs> Plus, oh. I lost my hustle. I wasn't popular. You know, people don't know you, so you're not doing outside
0: things. And, okay. So, for the first couple of years, man, it was really lean, man, really lean. But, but what did you learn in that, though? What did you learn making coming out of your comfort zone? Because that's you grew up in Detroit. You knew the market. You knew everything. So to come out of that comfort zone, right. what was it? And they knew me. And that's what I was worried about.
1: This is home. You know, they remember when you had to take off to go to your prom. <laughs> you, know, you don't have that kind of advantage in D.C. Yeah. But so I guess the thing I learned, man, is that, you know, we're more. Well, it's something. Was it Obama who said that? We're more alike than different, you know, I mean, wherever you are. And, and, and that if you're real that's the thing that connects people, man, that's that, that's that vibe, you know, the that, uh, that, that spiritual thing that connects us all, people know what's real, they yeah. can feel it, they, they hear it, they can see it, you know, and, um, you know, I've always been me, you yeah. know, uh, as a matter of fact, David was toying with the idea of calling my book, um, um, Being Me, um, because he loved the story I told, I, I, I've always felt that there were a thousand people out there waiting to take my job and that oh, wow. 500 of them are just as good as I am. The other 500 are better. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> but the only thing I can beat them all at is being me. You can't beat me doing that. So I beat me, you know, and, and, and that's true, not just, I'm, I'm serious. If you think about it, that applies to all walks of life. It's not just in media, it's not just radio and TV; all walks of life. Being you always wins, man. There's nothing that beats that. People want to know who you are.
0: You know, when you're real, they feel it, man. How much of 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 who you are that that because because you always come across being grounded because it's quite easy to get caught up in oh Steve I have Stevie's number my phone and you know I I can give uh, a call to James Brown stuff. So it's quite easy to to, to go about it. But how do you, is, does your wife help you maintain that level of humility? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let, let me tell you this.
1: And, and this will be a chapter in a book or a story anyway. Um, it was my 30th anniversary of doing radio here in Washington, D.C. All right. And, and, and the chapter would be called The Perfect Day. Okay. Um, I go out to run because I was doing a great morning show on the radio. So I got up early for my run at four and uh, get back at five. The morning paper has been thrown and uh, pick up the paper. And there I am on the front page of the Washington Post. You know, Donnie Simpson celebrating 30, 30 years on radio today. Wow. It was like that. <laughs> you know, okay. That's a heavy moment for me. So go do the radio show. We do it from this legendary place in D.C. called Ben's Chili Bowl. We've got probably 2,000 fans there with us to do the show that morning. Uh, That night, they have an all-star concert for me with Smokey Robinson and LL Cool J and all kinds of people, man. It's just crazy. Do the after party and everything, man. Get home at 2 in the morning, and my wife says, don't forget to take the trash (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh. that's the perfect day to me it's perfect you get all of this but let's let's bring this down let's bring this back to where it belong don't yeah. forget to take the trash out you wow. know so so i love that I, but i think also i think the other thing that helps in that grounding is that it all happened for me so early. You know, I, you know I, and I don't know that, that that's the case. I think about this sometimes because I think that maybe if at age 27 or 30, you know, there's this sudden change in your life and yeah. you, you get all this popularity and everything that maybe you would trip, you know, I don't know. I, but then what I really think is that it is as simple as this. And that is, that's the way God wired you. You know, that's who you are. Yeah, You know, it's,
0: that no matter when it happened, you would, I'd I like to think that, that you would be this way. Yeah. You and know? Uh, and I, was, I was just before you said that, I was about to say that you actually did become a minister, but a wider congregation.
1: <laughs> that's exactly what my mom always says. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's exactly what she says. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's not so much preaching is i mean it's as simple as you know see you tomorrow god bless you yeah peace yeah yeah you know i mean i don't have to beat you over the head with it but you know
0: that i wish you well you know the base that i come from you know where yeah. i come from
2: yeah you know, and it's by the,
0: yeah it's, it says by their fruits you'd see know them and, and it's and it's that's that's the hardest part i always say that we're always busy we're always struggling with time and we don't have the time and patience to be kind and to smile and yeah. to be and to be considerate to other people. And that's being in broadcast, and I think most of us would you know, we, we, we hear the horror stories about on the on you know on the camera and on the radio, everyone's nice, but when they're behind the scenes, they're the, the worst boss, the worst person around, and those stories we no. hear, but
1: <laughs> and I hate that because people expect you to be that. It's like, man, it it always freaks me out when you go like, man, you're so cool, you're so down to earth. You know, it's like, well, what'd you expect? (laughs) You know? (laughs) But, oh man, I was talking to Big Daddy Kane recently. I had him on my radio show. And he was talking about uh, just the respect that he had. He said, because when I came here to Video Soul the first time, you treated me like a real artist. I was like, how else would I treat you? I mean, you are a real artist. He said, but at that time, man, he said, you know, the rappers, we didn't get that kind of respect, man. Yeah. You know, you gave it to me. And I was just, I don't know. It it made me feel good and sad at the same time. Like, I mean, why, I, why would I treat you any other way?
0: Yeah, you but know? Back in those days, it was just yourself and Arsenio who really gave the opportunities to um, black music. I mean, because, you know, yeah. Michael knock down doors on on on, on, on a, you know mtv and around MTV. the world but it, yeah. it did it still didn't it wasn't happening for RB acts or hip hop acts back in those not like now where they're the Cardi B's hosting the gr uh, the you know, know. Grammys and yeah. Cardi's hosting America. But back then they couldn't get any, anything and, and to see uh, and in fact that's probably why I wanted to find out about how it was working in BET back in those early, early days when, when they started off because it it must have been you know i'm sure others other other networks weren't happy to see their black demographics being shifted to one station so there must have been a lot of challenges for BET in those very early days especially with you joining yeah well then you know later you get like yo mtv raps
1: yeah yeah they've been (laughs) really yeah (laughs) you know trying to siphon off some of you know of, of what we do um but you know but what we did was 24/7, and it was from the heart. You know, we are of this, uh, as I like to say. You know, we aren't just on safari. <laughs> you know, we live here. <laughs> this is what we do. This is what we do. And um, so, you know, it was. Um, I was very proud to be a part of that thing, man. And, you know, everybody that I know that worked at BET has that same level of pride. You know, to know that you were part of something that, you know, it's like when I was a kid, we only had three television stations here in America, ABC, CBS, and NBC. Then later cable comes, you know, so you've got, you got know, a whole list of things. But um, when BET came, it's like that's the first time where you got 24-7 black folks on your TV screen. Mm. That, that's significant. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you don't think about it again while you're doing it. You don't think about it. You know, you're just doing what you do. Um, but I remember when uh, Houdini was inducted into the, um, what do they call it? VH1 Honors. Yeah. And they called me and asked me if I would come to New York for that. I said, because you're the reason that we happened. And we wow. just can't see having this moment without you being there. Said, Man, I'll be there. So... One of my friends here, who was uh, a comedian sidekick on my radio show, he said, watch, you're gonna be amazed at the level of respect and love you get from the hip hop community. And uh, so I went there, man, and went backstage, man. And I, man, I'm telling you, every single one of those hip hop acts would come up to Donnie, Donnie, Donnie Simpson, man. You the OG, bro. <laughs> but You know, yeah. I was, it freaked me out, man. But then, you know, when we were like trying to get ready to write the book and I was working, when you're working with a writer, you, it forces you to think about all kinds of things, go back and look at these things. And, and it's like, I never thought of us as, you know, understood the R&B artists, the significance we had to their careers, yeah. uh, but I never thought about it in terms of hip hop. But then it's like, if you think the R&B artists didn't have any outlets, the hip hop artists really didn't have any outlets, yeah, yeah. You know, and our very first guests were the Fat Boys. Wow, <laughs> yeah, very first guest on Video Soul, the Fat Boys. So you do have that history in hip hop, but you know, I mean, we had everybody on there from uh, from from Biggie, you know, to Pac, yeah. um, and and. <laughs> You know, again, I just love music, so all of that makes sense to me. I just, I'm so glad that we had that thing that wasn't restricted, yeah. that wasn't Disco 93, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that it's broad. You can do everything. I, I'm sorry. I was going to no. shift real quick because I wanted to, wanted to make sure I told you this story because okay. we're in the UK. Because uh, I told you, the Elton John, Vinnie and the Jet story.
0: Yes, yeah, yes.
1: Yeah. Um, when I was in Detroit, uh, I, my the, the DJ who was on before me, he did afternoon, his name was Claude Young, the big soul rocker. And uh, so rock turned me on to Elton John. So every night, man, we sit in this basement listening to Elton, man, and, uh, this album, Goodbye Elbert Grove, man. Okay. Benny and the Jets would play, man. And I was Scott, come on, I love this song. I love this song. But I was scared to play it because black folks didn't know Elton John. Uh, so for about a week, man, yeah, finally, week later, I said, man, I'm playing this.
2: <laughs> I, I went on
1: the air and played it that night. I played it twice. I played it the second time because the phones were jumping off the hook from the first time I played it. Wow. It was like nothing I had ever seen before nor since. I mean, like, boom, an explosion, man. Um, it was so fast. The DJ who worked the morning show, who was the guy that did the radio, did his show for my mother's record show, by the way, Okay. calls me the next morning at 7.30, wakes me up. Donnie, what is this song you played last night? Ginny and the Nets or something? You gotta, you gotta bring it down here. You gotta bring, I had to get in my car, take it down to him to play. In two days time, Elton was on the phone all the radio station. It wanted to know what is this? I hear Benny and the Jets is breaking black in Detroit. I mean, it was amazing. Uh, about 6 months later, Elton comes to town, holds a press conference. This is Elton John, right? Presents me with a gold record for this thing. And wow. it was just the most to this day, still one of the most amazing moments in my career, man. Me and Elton hung out for 2 days. You know, <laughs> it was it was just unbelievable, man. It was just unbelievable. And um, t- 40 years later, I saw Elton on the, the Today Show here in America, and they were talking about, the, you know, the 40th anniversary of the release of this album. And uh, the host said, Matt Lauer says, uh, well, there's one song, Elton, that when you just play the first chord, everybody knows. <laughs> And it was Benny, it was Benny in the dance. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, thing broke out of Detroit. And he said, uh, you know, it was such a significant moment for me because, you know, I, I always wanted to be accepted by the black audience, always wanted to be, and that gave me that. So, once again, to know that you did something that impacted his career like that yeah. was awesome. I used to send him uh, 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 gospel albums from my mother's record shop because Elton loved black gospel and wow. he couldn't get it there, you know? And I would, and that's what my mother specialized in black gospel. So I would send him gospel albums and stuff, man. And, you know, it was just, it's just a really, really cool moment in my career. But, but I bring it up for this reason, that it was just a, it's a perfect lesson in going with your soul, yeah. doing what you want to do, You know, and also to say that how unfortunate, how how fortunate I was, and am to this day, I still control what I play 100%. I do anything I want to do on my show, 100%. It just doesn't exist in radio anymore. Mm. And that's sad to me. The fact that I'm the only one doesn't make me happy. It makes me sad. Yeah. You know, because there's some young people out there now with good ears, man who can't have that Elton John moment, you know, yeah. because they aren't free to, you yeah. know? And that's so tragic to me, man. You know, it's just, I hate that. I hate that. I love the old school way of doing it, man. You know, yeah. and I was that way even as a programmer. Well, I, programmed, I told you I programmed radio station, KYS, yeah. for 12 years. Man, I let my jocks have freedom, you know, because I always felt that. If you're doing something that represents you, it's going to be a lot different than you just represent me. Yeah. You know, I want you vested in this. Yeah. You know, represent you, man, who you are and what you do. Freedom. Let's go. You know, that was a school I was from. You know, and I just find, man, that when you let people go like that, you'll be amazed at the talent that come out. Yeah. You know? Instead of you telling what to you know who Howard Stern is, of course.
0: Yes, yeah, yes. I was, yeah.
1: I was hanging with Howard Stern one day, man, and he said the coolest thing. He said, Donnie, isn't it amazing that these people will pay you all this money to do this and then want to tell you how to do it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think we can't be remiss that you are relaunching Video Soul um, yes and 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 one of the things I, I enjoyed when you when i saw you on instagram talking about it is that not, you this is stuff that you, you now own and, and stuff right. where did you well how did it come to mind to say you know? not let me go and get the, the brand name and re, re revisit it in this 20 you know 2022 21 22 and beyond yeah.
1: yeah well it was about three or four years ago no about four years ago when um you know, I, I started a production company, Donnie Simpson Productions, and we were just talking about what projects we might do. And uh, you know, I thought about video soul for many, many, many years. And um, but then as we talked about it, it became clear that that's what we should do. Um, Bob Johnson encouraged it too. Bob Johnson was the, yeah, the only yeah, B- yeah. B- yeah. uh, and as a result of that became the world's first black billionaire. Yeah, and um, yeah, so um, you know, I had his blessings on it. So we checked, and they had, they didn't, they didn't own the name anymore. BET didn't, so I scooped it up. Okay, and, uh, <laughs> and, which I thought was great. I couldn't believe it was still out there and available for me, you know. Uh, but I just felt like it was appropriate that if not BET, then certainly me, you yeah. know, for Video Soul. But we decided to to, to do this and uh, I, I just can't tell you how excited I am about it. Uh, it's gone very well. We uh, the most magical moment was when we went to Atlanta, Georgia to do to produce the shows. Okay. And you know, for me, you know, I've always I felt like I've always been a smile. As a matter of fact, this one I would write on employment forms and stuff at work and go, you know. <laughs> Like job description, Smiler. smiler. <laughs> I wouldn't write DJ or announcer, I smile. That's, that's what I do, I smile. But, uh, but I never owned that smile, you know? And I just, that's what I wanted now. I wanted to own my own thing. That I, I would get jealous when I would see plumbers pull up to my house and the truck would say, Smith & Sons since 1956, uh, you know? It's like, wow, he's got something he can pass on Yeah, history. You know, so that's what this was about for me. Uh, well, it was about that and also creating opportunities for others, yeah. you know? The lack of freedom that I talked about, I want to create some things where people that want to express themselves can, Yeah, where you will be working with a company that understands that, yeah. you know? Man, do you, do you, baby? That's, you know, that's me. And so, uh, but when we went to Atlanta to do those shows and I walked into that studio and there's some 80 odd people there, I don't mean they were odd, I mean 80 plus people.
0: Plus people, yeah, 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 (laughs)
1: Uh, (laughs) yeah. That you have employed for these few days and that they were totally vested in this project, that, Two things I found that they knew it was mine and they were proud of that. Yeah. And Video Soul means something to them. Yeah. You know, they were so, I don't mean just the people that work there, but the audience members, everybody, man. Yeah. It
2: was,
1: it was, it was an incredible feeling, man, that I'll never, ever forget. So, yeah. so, so that's what we're doing. Uh, you know, it's right now, it's available on Tubi, which is a free streaming service, but we're getting ready to take it broad. To some other services, and we there are other interests in, from networks that I can't speak on right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but I'm very, very excited about that. I have a new uh, podcast that just launched,
0: and I saw the one you did with KC. So that's that's what I was going to ask about oh, yeah. the podcast. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So I'm very excited about that too. That has been going very well. Um, you know, it's not just audio, but we have a video component to it, too, so yeah. you can watch us do that thing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's my um, producer and, and sidekick on my radio show said to me a couple of weeks ago, well, this was well, right at the end of the year. said, what an interesting year for you. You know, I have, you have a new syndicated radio show. You brought Video Soul back. And you got a new podcast at 67 years old. <laughs> I was like, "Well, you know what? I, I do work with AARP here in America, and one of their initiatives is called uh, Life Reimagined." And what it talks about is the fact that people that life life expectancy years have grown so significantly yeah. over the last few years. People live so much longer. That long gone are the days when at age of 62, age of retirement, yeah, you need to start sitting, you know, I got to quit my job and sit back and wait for death. No. Yeah. Vibrant stuff to do. you got lots of years to live. Yeah. And that's what this is about for me too, man. You yeah. know, doing stuff, staying active, man. I think that that keeps you young, you know. I, I love being in the mix still, you know. I just... You know, when I'm around my grandkids, it's always, so what are you listening to? Who do you like? You know, I always want to know. Even at nine, 10 years old, I want to know, who do you like? What are you listening to? Yeah. You know, I don't, I never, always was afraid of falling into that bag of, you know, something that every generation says. They don't make music like they used to. You know, and it, you know, the boogity-boogity. You know, I mean, they, every single generation says that. And it's true. They don't make music like they used to. They never have, and they never will. It's always changing. It's yeah, always but, changing. So, but, but so somebody in, yeah, go ahead. Huh? So no, I was you, gonna, Yeah, go ahead. You can get stuck in that. If you, if you want to just stay stuck in your thing, that's okay. That's yeah. fine. But when I hear people say, you know, man, I don't listen to rap. I don't know. So you don't know Biggie's flow, Nas's no, or Jay Z's dope. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, no, but 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 listening to Please. that because I mean, when we look think about you know, there's a, there's a lot of people who talk about well the '60s and Motown that was the golden era. Then some would say, oh no, or, if you didn't know the '70s, then you missed out. But then when we look at how R and B music is today. And somebody who's been in music for so, such a long time, I think, you know, a Tank even tried to put a, a challenge because we, we're struggling to get R&B in a way that we can appreciate. Um, what are your thoughts, though, about the modern-day R&B? Uh, not hip-hop. Hip-hop, you know, they've, they've got their own balance, but especially R&B, the way it is today. I mean, especially since you're, as a DJ and live it, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, you know, I, I the thing I hate about it is that I, I hate that there's a lack of outlets on the radio for R and B music. It's like they just play old R and B music. But you know, I've heard songs from the Isley Brothers and Smokey Robinson recently. You know, that are good songs that don't have a chance to get played. You know, that don't get much play. Yeah. You know, so 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 I that bothers me. But at the same time, man, I love like the Silk Sonic album. Yeah, and you know what? I look at that with great hope as to what that can do because that's straight up classic RB, man. Yeah, and yeah. it's so good. It's like that's like the best album I've heard in ten years, man. Yeah, I yeah. love yeah. that album. And so to see these young brothers embracing this thing and taking it somewhere else. You know, yeah. maybe that will help usher in more opportunities for r and artists is what I'm hoping for. You know, but you still, you know, you got her and you know, there's still some people out there, man, that are really doing some great things in r and You know, so it's, um, you know, I just miss the days. You know, I remember, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, and you would pick up the Billboard charts and look at the top ten songs, and it would be the OJ's and Lionel Richie right yeah. next to Ambrosia and George Michael. You yeah. know, it was all mixed.
0: Yeah, and, yeah.
1: Uh, I just always liked that.
0: You know, I, yeah. That's what it should be to me. So, if for, for just as we were wrapping up, well, who would you? I mean, you mentioned Silk Sonic and and her, but. If you were to think of other male and female R&B acts today that you would recommend to this international audience to look out for, who else would you as as you, that you're playing on your station, and you say, "Yeah, l- l- look out for these art guys."
1: Oh wow! Well, you know what? The station I, that I'm on, we play mostly classic stuff. Ah, uh, okay. The station plays exclusively classic stuff. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I stretch out man I play well DJ Cool, you know DJ Cool?
0: Yes, yes. Let me clear yeah. my throat.
1: Let me clear my throat. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: He's got a new song called Cha Cha Cha. Okay. You got to check that out. It's a great. It's like a classic group, group dance kind of song, you know. Uh, yeah, Cha 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 from DJ Cool. Um I, just man, Anderson Anderson Pack of course. Um Kendrick Lamar, you know People don't expect me to be into that stuff. It's so funny. I remember running into um, uh, Nelly one day. God, El- Nelly would be old school now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, two thousand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but I was talking to Nelly, and I said, "Man, I love uh, I-, I love Nelly Go. He's like Nelly Bill. I said, "Yeah, man." Especially the line when you say, uh, "I can't remember exactly what the line is, but it's uh, uh,
0: forty acres on a
1: mule." Blank that stuff. In, in Nellyville, six-car garage, paved the smooth, bedrooms, and a jacuzzi, you know? <laughs> it was, he said, he looked at me like, how do you know that? That's not even a single. I said, I, mean, I listen to the album, man. I like, you know, I like music, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I do. I, every, when I play golf, I always have my headphones on, and, and it's always on random. And I don't know what's going to come. And I'm telling you, you would think I was crazy if you could see the playlist because it may go from Elton John to Biggie to Anderson Pack to Vladimir Horowitz to Blake Shelton to West Montgomery. It could be B.B. King, anything, anything. And it all makes sense to me. It's, yeah.
0: just, it's just music, you know, it's just music. Oh, God, the, the young girl that I love so much now, um, Is it Jasmine Salman? Is it her? Is it uh, Summer
1: well, Walker? I love like, so,
0: okay. Scissors. Uh, so, 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 so. uh,
1: <laughs> this young white girl, she's only oh. 18, 18 years old now. Not it's, Billy. So, so far, Eilish? Huh?
0: Billy Eilish? Yep, Billy Eilish. Okay. Okay. I
1: love Billie Eilish, man. That, that one song just took me out the first time I heard it. Uh, I love you, but I don't want to. I mean, I even called Jimmy Jam about that. <laughs> Jimmy, how can this young girl write a line like that? <laughs> She's not, I mean, I love you, but I don't want to. I don't, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but that just seems... Beyond her years to me, yeah.
2: That's
1: a concept: yeah. How could she? You know, and um, but I think she's someone that we'll see for a long time, man. I yeah. I like Billie Eilish a lot.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm yeah. just kind of all
1: over the place,
0: and and, that, and that's good to know. I, I do wonder though if, if you had your top five guests that you've had on Video Soul, the old one, uh, who who would you who'd be your top five? Because I mean, we all have our favorites, but who'd make your top five? and mm-hmm. I'm sure all of their guests were great, but if you top five most men. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> no.
1: Yeah. Um, wow. I'd say James Brown. Okay. Aretha. <laughs> the Temptations. Wow. When I had the Temptations on, man, it just happened to be on my wife's birthday. I call her my boot, and it's legit <laughs> because she's born on Halloween, so she truly is my boot. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, but that day, I said, man, you know, and we, we did the show live, and I said, uh, today is my wife's birthday, man. Would y'all do a song with me for her?
2: And it's like, yeah, let's go.
1: So I get up off the couch, man, and we do uh, my baby. Whose hairstyles are out of this world? Whether it's straight or bouffant or it's curled, my baby. So I'm just up front, you know. I'm like, I'm just (laughs) panamiling. Yeah. But I hear these voices
0: come from behind me.
1: It's like they're serious. They ain't playing. These are the Temptations singing behind me. What a moment that was, man. Wow. So I'd have to put the Temps on that list. Smokey. God, this list is gonna go beyond five. No, that's
0: years. good. Keep going, keep going, keep going. No, this oh is
1: Smokey loves Smokey. God, that, one of my dearest friends, man. I just love that man. Um whew. wow. Let's see. Frankie Beverly. Yeah, he's Frankie, he... Frankie Beverly. As a matter of fact, the first time I came to your country was because of Frankie. Frankie oh. was on my show. This was probably year two or three a video sold. And after the show, we were talking and uh, Frankie says, yeah, we're going to go to London in three weeks. I said, really? He says, yeah, man, we're huge over there. I said, really? He said, I mean, like the Beatles. <laughs> you go like, yeah, it must be drinking. <laughs> and he says, I'm serious, man. You should come see. I said, okay, let's go. And that was our first trip to Europe. Me and my wife, Pam, wow. went over to Europe and were with Frankie for 10 days. Wow. He broke the Beatles record then at the Hammersmith
0: Odeon. Okay. Sold yeah.
1: out uh, 17 nights, I think it was. Wow.
0: Yeah, I lived near, you know, yeah, I lived near Hammersmith. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was crazy.
1: I couldn't believe it. And it was so fascinating to me, too, because uh, this was the, the day we arrived. We went shopping. And twice in stores, people walked up to me, not knowing me, or just going to see Mays tonight. <laughs> got my ticket. And they're, they're pulling out. Their t- it was, I mean, all the, the in every store, the radio stations were playing Mays music. wall I could not believe it. And the most interesting thing about it, though, was that when I got to the show that night,
0: to see the audience
1: that was, Eighty-five percent white.
0: Yeah, they, yeah,
1: yeah. It's the reverse of that here in America, man. Yeah, it's, it's more like ninety-eight percent black. Yeah, in America. You yeah.
0: know, and Yeah.
1: As a matter of fact, I had this conversation with Frankie one night, man. We were just taking it, and uh, I said, "Man, you know, I would never speak for you, Frankie, but I think I could speak for you on this. This is just something I think about." I said, "Our careers are alike in this way." We both have this audience, you know, like, you know, in America we're talking about in particular black audience that knows you, love you, but there's this whole other audience, white America, really don't know you. I said, now, I think you would agree with me with this, but I would love to have the other part. But if I die with just this, yeah, I'm, totally totally satisfied yeah one thousand percent man because to know that your people feel that way about you there's nothing that could beat that man nothing yeah you know we just lost him to May. uh
0: yes yes who did you see and And, yeah yeah um i had just
1: his people had just asked me to record a birthday greeting for him which i've done not even a week before his death. Wow. And uh, I, I hope he got to see it. I don't know. But um, in the video, I said, you know, I always loved it when you came to Video Soul because you came with not just something to play, but something to say. And one of the things that, is, that I've always remembered that he said, he was talking about crossover acts, black acts that crossed over. Yeah. And he was saying, you know, him mean, too, maybe was a little militant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can cross over but at some point you don't need to cross back yeah. <laughs> and, and what you're talking about right now with Michael yeah. is one of those moments you know when he went through that stuff with the child molestation charges and all the yeah. way, he found that need yeah. to cross back man, yeah. cross back to people who have been with you your whole life who truly, you know, like I said earlier man, who are not merely on safari yeah. They live there. Yeah. You know? And um that so I was thinking about that just recently because of M May's death, man. And, and that's to me, that's that moment. The need yeah. to cross back. Yeah. People got that genuine love for. And I'm not saying that white folks don't have love no. for them too. i I'm not yeah, saying they- that at all. Yeah. But but he needed that base then.
0: Yeah, and yeah. And, and, and 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 with which which is key and and, and it's um and and I and I, and as I said, when you be when you you know you said you knew him when he was fourteen, and I, and I don't think at that point you you'd think that he'd be the greatest entertainer who would sell over half a billion records, and and you can go to any country in the world, you know, there's no uh, there's no artist or actor or celebrity who is globally known in Africa no, no, no. to China to anywhere, I, I, you know, even my kids who are at still ten and five would say. Michael Jackson, even if he's long oh, yeah. gone, and, and stuff, so, but just, I mean, on him, because we've just been celebrating him on our channel for the past week, but when he was that young, could you see there was something in him, or, or, or did it catch you by surprise when he became the biggest person? Well,
1: by the time I met him, I mean, it was year two of the Jackson 5, so they were, that explosion had already gone off, that, okay. that explosion was immediate, I mean... I want you back. I mean their career was just like that song starts <laughs> <laughs> it's just on you. Wow. Just, their career was just on you that pass. You know, and then to back it up with ABC, The Love You Save, I'll be or whatever that order was. Yeah. I mean, it was really kind of like the Beatles. And I want to yeah. hold your hand, you know, where you got like six or eight of the top ten singles in the country or something like that. It, it was so immediate. So Yeah, by the time I met him, I mean, he was already the Jackson Five. I mean, you know, but Michael was uh, very unique in this way to me. I've always thought this, that he's the only artist I know that got to ride the tidal wave twice. Wow. Twice. You know, the Beatles were a tidal wave, but it just, it's, it's still a tidal wave. That's still that, that's the one wave. It's the Rolling Stones, James, whoever you want to talk about. Yeah. But Michael, it was the Jackson 5, then the Faded song, then it came back as Michael. And, and, and the second title wave was three times as big, big as the first. I mean, it was just amazing what that guy accomplished, man. I had just nothing but love and respect. Never had him on video so Never in it. Two people, him and Prince. <laughs> Never had them. But, you know, know, them. you know, I've been to Michael's house and hung out in your Neverland ranch and all that stuff, man. Yeah. Um, when we would come to town, I'd go see him. We'd hang out, you know, backstage before the show and stuff. But never, just never, it just never happened for whatever reason. Well, early yeah. on with Prince, because Prince wouldn't do interviews. Yeah. You know, for many years, it was only one interview that Prince did, and it was him interviewing himself. <laughs> They're different, but, yeah. but, you know, but Michael, man, I was just so proud of him and what he accomplished, man, and just the most wonderful family, you know. Uh, me and Janet have been uh, close <laughs> for many years. Uh, his sister, his brothers, his mother, just one of the yeah. sweetest people on the face of this earth, who reminds me so much of my mom. Wow. They're both about the same age, 92, something wow. like that. you talk about your kids. For me, it's my grandkids. Yeah. They know Michael at three, four years old. They know his music. I go over there, Matt, and they like, Granny, Granny, And they'll go behind a curtain and change and put in, you know, I bought them all Michael Jackson t shirts and stuff. <laughs> put on a t-shirt. They come out with a hat and they all like, they come out and they jump. <laughs> they be trying to do that because I showed them the video of his entrance because I was playing jam for them one day. Okay. Uh, come just from- play the song. <laughs> Show it to him from yeah. uh, Budapest or Bucharest. Yeah, yeah yeah, the, yeah, the goes, boom, boom. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It goes boom, they'll <laughs> <laughs> stand.
2: <laughs>
1: oh, but, goodness. But, but it's so cool to me to, to, to have. I remember thinking this when he died, thinking this about his mom, that how rough a time that had to be, obviously. But the solace was in knowing that your child touched the world like this. Every nook and cranny of this earth. And to see to this day how your kids, my grandkids, love this man.
0: You know, another interview that you did was, who doesn't do interviews anymore, Shade. do you remember that? Do I? Do I? (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's, 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 it's such a weird interview because you know, it was her first interview in America. Wow. Yep. Her first interview in America it was with me on Video Soul. And if you look at it, I'm sitting there,
0: I got that tam on. And, You're doing a French like, Was that the French one? Or was oh, it was a, right.
1: Yeah. That's why I said it's so strange. Why, <laughs> why are you doing this French thing? But it shows you where we were. I didn't know anything. It was all across the border you know, England, London, <laughs> Rome, France, I don't know. <laughs> oh, <goodness. Uh-oh. laughs> yeah. But she was so sweet, man. she what a sweetheart. Love that woman. Uh, went to see her many years later in Atlanta. She was performing. And I went there specifically for that reason. Just to see her. Yeah. And uh, you know she was so welcoming backstage and uh, you know just she remembered. I mean, I guess, you know, it's your first interview in the States. Yeah. It's yeah. a big deal, you know. But, uh, yeah, what, what an artist. I mean, yeah. if you talk about an artist that will perform as long as she wants, man.
2: Yeah. She's
0: just got that cool vibe to her. Yeah. You know, it's mean, so somebody, sexy. I mean, somebody sexy. that's very close to her is Anita Baker. I mean, what are your thoughts about Anita Baker?
1: Well, Anita's my homegirl. Okay, <laughs> yeah, Anita's from Detroit, so that's uh, okay, yeah. And, and Anita used to listen to me on the radio, as a matter of fact, she told me she used to come to my love bug picnics <laughs> when she was a little girl. So, <laughs> so, yeah, she's been a friend of mine a long time, man. Uh, Anita is a sweetheart. Uh, we, me and my wife, for a number of years, we had a house down in Florida, and so we would go down there during the winter and spend some time. And Anita and her husband, and they're now divorced, Walter, uh, came down and spent a week with us once. And I got to tell you that to hear that book, she's always singing. And to hear that voice up close around your house, you know, just walking around in pajamas, just, oh, whatever, just singing wow. that's it's like, wow. You know, it's almost like, um, like an athlete who always says when they get to the pros, they're amazed at the speed of the game.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) You know, I've been around a lot of people who think they could sing. Yeah. When you're around a real singer, you know, Johnny Gill came down there and spent some time with us. Same thing, man. Just like, wow, that's that's a different level.
0: It's just different level, man. Yeah, Yeah, a sweetheart. Well that's know, and we're happy we saw the news that she's now she's been able to get a master's back from Warner Brothers and, and Yes. Just, and we're looking forward to as you said, hopefully new music and, and stuff for, for us the fans.
1: Yeah, I hope so too, man. She's a, a very talented woman, obviously. And I hope yeah. it, <laughs> she dragged me on a stage one night here in DC in front of ten thousand people or whatever it is. And she's doing um uh uh Caught Up in the Rapture, Ah, okay? So she brings me on stage to sing that song with her. And so she goes, ah, caught up in the rapture of love. And then she gives the mic to me, I'm (laughs) like, ah. Why do you let me sing the hook? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) I was so embarrassed. So I kind of faded to the back, man, next to the bass player, uh, fake bass, air base, you know, <laughs> trying to be cool still. But so when we get through backstage, she says, God, I was so embarrassed. I was so ashamed of you, my homeboy. How could you not know the lyrics? She said, I did it in London uh, just a few weeks ago, brought George Michael on stage. He sung the whole thing. I said, well, baby, two things. He's a singer <laughs> and a writer. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I ain't um, <laughs> oh, oh! I, I thought you were... Oh, you could not remember lyrics. the lyrics. Yeah, I struggle with that. I don't hear lyrics. Uh, okay. it's, it's, I just hear where a song is, the vibe overall. Mm. I mean, you know, I, I shouldn't say I don't hear lyrics. I don't hear lyrics like I would like to. Yeah. Like musician friends of mine, I know right away they hear everything in it. I, I. I but then I also do no know musicians that don't hear lyrics as well. But uh, you know, so uh, Prince. Prince told me, we we hung out one night, man. Wow, this this is another one of your homeboys in this story. Um, Wow, what a great story, too. Um, I did Video Soul, had David Bowie on as a guest. And so after the show, we were talking, and David was telling me he was going to Minneapolis to perform that Friday. This was a Wednesday. And I said, well, I'm going to Minneapolis. I was doing a Video Soul special. It was the reunion of the time. Oh, Morris Day uh, Yeah. And so he said, well, why don't you come to the show? I said, man, I'll be there. I would love to. So I called my boy, Sugar Ray Leonard. <laughs> and, uh, As you do. <laughs> that's my boy. Ray's like best friend, man. And uh, Ray, you know, lives around the corner from, or did. He doesn't anymore. He's in LA. But uh, he went with me to Minneapolis for this, And so when we get to the show... Um they, they had a set up at the soundboard in the middle of every arena, they got a soundboard. Um, and they'll have a few seats there, but it's where the engineer sits sits. sits. So you want to be in the middle of the joint so you can hear everything right. So there's like maybe 10 seats there. So as we we're walking to our seat, I bumped the lady in front of me and I said, oh, excuse me, ma'am. And Prince turned around. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I said, it's cool, Donnie. <laughs> it's all right. I said, oh, I'm sorry. Chris. Said, no, it's cool, man. <laughs> oh, it was so funny. So a couple minutes later, he turns around. He says, um, hey, Donnie, you and Ray should come to Paisley Park tonight. We're having a party tonight. I said, oh, okay. we would love to, man. Let's do it. So OK. So uh, we go to Paisley Park. The party, man, it can't be, but. 12, 13 people. It's me, Ray, my producer, uh, David Bowie, uh, two or three of his bandmates, um, Prince, Cat, who was a dancer with him at the time. And um, that's probably about it. And he plays the Black Album. That's what he's playing that night. And that album was notorious because you know it didn't exist. You know that story for a long time, it wasn't out. And uh, so I said to Prince that night, I said, man, this is such a groove, man, you know? And uh, three years later, I run into him somewhere, we're talking. And he says, you know, you're the reason the Black album didn't come out, right? I said, why? What do you mean? He says, you remember what you said that night at Paisley Park? You said, this is such a groove. And I was about so much more than that. Wow. And that was deep, and I said, "I don't know if he means that, if he's just telling me that, you know." But but he remembered it because that's what was said. And uh, but within years later, I would think about it. I said, God, you should have thought to tell him, friends, you shouldn't have given what I said anyway.
0: I don't hear lyrics. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that's the difference between him and Michael because he 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 seemed to be invested in his in his music and and and. It's probably something you said that's how he interpreted that. Yeah. Um, yeah so it wouldn't right. have been. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how you try and get out of it. It is how you received it. It's probably what he, the kind of validation he was looking for before making a decision about releasing it. So that's, that's yeah. those are, yeah. that's an appreciation that he, that he took what you said more than anything else. I mean, that, that's, that's yeah, right. Great. Right.
1: I, I had this conversation one night with Frankie Beverly and it was just about, I was talking about how, I was telling him how all my life, I wished that I could hear just for one night with Stevie's ears. Just one night, I would like to hear music with Stevie's ears. And Frankie said the most interesting thing. He said, for one night, I would like to hear it with your ears. He said, because... I listen to music so technically. Yeah. You know, I'm listening and I'm going, oh my God, why would you do that? What uh, why would they play that chord behind it? just I'm picking it apart. You just lost in the groove, man, where it is. You know, that's what you feel. I would love to hear music. That's like, wow.
0: I'm thankful for what I got. I'm glad, you know. Yeah. especially yeah. yeah, Because thing. you've you've had it for you know, you've gone through the motown through all this stuff and you, you have a very different appreciation which is why we like radio djs because you introduce us to stuff that we don't know and you give us say look open your mind or, or you know to it's to something different
1: when people feel like they have all the music that they can stand in their phone you know you get all the streaming services and all of that but you don't yeah. need radio you know but what you just said is so important presenter I think that do you still call them presenters over there yeah (laughs) yeah someone to present it yeah someone to present it to tell you a story to set it up or to say hey this is something I just heard check this out if you like it or even if it's something old why I like this song what you know you can just play the
0: song but it's a
1: whole different thing when you got someone
0: packaging it yeah I think the one question I didn't ask was Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and, 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 say, people like Babyface and Terry Riley, what, what, what do you think they did differently um, to music in that 90s compared to what you experienced in the 70s uh, uh, with the Motown guys? Well,
1: it, I mean, like everybody before, they just did different sounds, man. It's uh, You know, you you would know when you heard Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Yeah. You know, even though it's not them performing, it's Janet or uh force mds human league could be anybody but that that, that snare snap <laughs> it was just a different sound that they created same thing with teddy with the new jack swing man um just you know but but then it's the same as the guys before them motown with all of those guys that were motown when you heard a motown record you knew that it was motown when you heard Philly International, Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, a unique sound, you know. Uh, I, I I wish I were able to answer your question fully. I don't think that I could because I'm not a musician. Yeah, but maybe they could explain why.
2: Yeah, I don't
1: know why. You know, I don't know why. I just know that it it always it felt different. You know, and that these people had. A unique style. You knew their music when you heard yeah. it. Yeah, you know, I mean, almost like a like a voice, like you know, like hearing a Marvin Gaye song for the first time. Like you didn't need anybody to tell you that was Marvin.
2: Yeah, you knew yeah. it.
1: You know, but th- that their sounds were that unique. How they create that? I don't know. I mean, and I would be in the studio with Jimmy and Terry, man. Oh my god. <laughs> I can remember sitting many, many nights in Minneapolis sitting there with them. And, and I'm an early riser because I always did the morning show on the radio. Yeah. So I can't, you know, it, 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 we always lived on the opposite side of the clock. Yeah. Um, I used to call Jimmy and Terry in the morning on the way to work, knowing that they would be on the way home from work. Wow. At 5 a.m. <laughs> Seriously. Especially when they moved to L.A. because it's like 2, 3 in the morning. But... Um, <laughs> Man, I would be sitting there in a studio and, you know, I'm falling asleep because, you know, first of all, they're an hour behind us, so it's already late for me. Yeah. I'm so I'm in and out of sleep, man, and I hear just a little drum beat, you know, the next thing, a little, little something on top. And, then, and by the time I fully wake up, man, two, two and a half, three hours later, it's a, it's a full song. I'm like, wow. how do you do
0: that? Yeah. And that would just be Jimmy. That's just Jimmy, and there just doing what he does, oh, man. I, 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 I have. To, I mean, what they did with Alexandra O'Neill, uh, um Janet, um, Sounds of Blackness. I, I. The one thing I would say when I listen to Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis is that they, they're the ones who are. You know, they can. They've crossed. They even did stuff with her. Um, they. Yeah. But sometimes you don't even recognize that they're on the track, especially now. Um, right, I don't know, right. but I, I don't know. You've known them for a long time. Is it, do you think it's the friendship between Jimmy and Terry that enabled that magic to come out? Because they're the only ones who... Because Babyface will admit that LA, were, were, they were bandmates, they weren't best of friends, compared to, say, Jimmy and Terry. Do you think that has something to con- contribute to, to just the magic that they, they can put out?
1: I do. I do. I think it has a lot to do with that. I mean, they are truly... Brothers, man, just, you know, I mean, all these years, you probably know this, but, you know, all these years, there's never been a piece of paper between them. There's no contract. Wow. You know, there's no contract. We said we're going to do this. Let's do this. You know, um, I remember very early on, uh, Terry telling me about Jimmy, wow, when they got their first royalty check. God, I hope they don't mind me telling this story. <laughs> I don't think they will, but it's what happened. It's what he told me. They got their first big royalty check. It was like $15,000 each or something like that. And all Jimmy had been talking about, man, for months was a Corvette. He wanted a Chevrolet Corvette. And uh, Jimmy, when Terry got his check, he gave a whole thing to Jimmy. He goes, Jimmy got his check. He gave, hey man, I don't want you thinking about cars, man. I need you thinking about music. Wow. You know, I mean, Terry's told me once, he said, Donnie, I'm telling you, man, he could have my skin if he needed it. And he means that, man. That's how close they are. So I don't see how that can't impact the music that we all get from them. It's a relationship, man, that I just envy. You know, I think that everybody, anybody in the business, would, what would you get? Wouldn't you give to have a relationship like that? With your partner, that you can trust him to that level, man. Wow. You know? Yeah, man. You, you know, they, they, they have integrity. And that's like, to me, one of the most important things you can have in life. I, I don't know anything more valuable.
2: Yeah.
1: Integrity. You know, that leads to respect, but integrity, man, that you, well, conviction that you, you know who you are. You only do things a certain way, you know, and people can trust that. They know who you are. You know, I just, I can't say enough about Jimmy Jam and materials. They're the only guys that I've ever met in my life that from the day I met them, I felt like we went to elementary school together. Wow. Like we were old friends instantly. I've never met anyone else like that. Just Jimmy and Terry. It's wow. like, you know, it's just these kindred spirits, you know, just, yeah, man. I, I, I love them
0: guys. What's your favorite song by them? <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. Oh <laughs> it's like, it's like, that's my
1: favorite Stevie <laughs> song. I, I could narrow it down
0: to a list of about a hundred. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Your top three, no, Jimmy and Terry. Would, <laughs> okay, if you can't do one.
1: Wow. Well, I, I will give you one. I know theirs. Theirs is Optimistic. That's the most wow. significant song in The, the Sounds of Blackness. Um, in any interview, they will tell you that. That's, yeah, without doubt. But for me, I would probably say uh, Alexander O'Neill, Crying Overtime. Wow. It's the one that I listen to most. Uh, you know, I don't listen to music much at home, um, but every now and then, man, I'll get in bed and I'll listen to something. And it's always, it's three songs. It's, all, it's like three, it's one of three songs that i would listen to. Uh, and this has been the case over the last 10 years, Father. One is Crying Overtime. And you, I don't know if you know the song. If not, you should no, listen to I'm,
0: it. No, I will listen to it.
1: It's such a great late night song, you know. Um, long after your tears have dried, I'll be crying. Overtime. Wow. Um, so the other one, ooh, baby, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and And the third is uh, Susan's song by Al Jarreau. Wow. It's just a great, great late night song. that just moves me. It's a song about, it's a song about, you know, not giving up on love, you know, of, of trying this thing again, although you've been hurt, you know. And it's so funny because crying overtime is the same kind of thing. You know, it's, it's a hurt, love hurt me song. And, it, it, and that's not why I'm listening. That's not the situation I'm in, you know. But it's, I don't know. The, the songs just move me for some reason. But when you hear Alan Rose sing this song, you know, he says, uh, Susan, don't... I've been blind a long time. He says, Sometimes, if you're not careful, a-, a little hurt, a little pain makes you blind to the real thing once it comes along. You know, I mean, you know, I've been blind. I've been blind. Uh, it's it's unbelievable, man. It's just he's trying to work his way out of the shell. He's been hurt. He's trying to work his way out of the shell, man.
0: It's 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 a good song, man. <laughs> and now, I'm, so, I am going to listen to those so, As we end, one of the questions I always ask my guests Is that if you were stuck in an elevator And you had to, it was going to be two or three hours And they said we can play a movie for you Halle Berry Oh a, a, a movie. Oh, yeah. If, if they could play <laughs> a movie for yeah, yeah. If they could play a movie while we get you out. <laughs> you could put a you could oh, let you finish the question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what movie? Yeah. yeah. Mr. Dalvin from Jodice was did the same thing, thinking, Oh, who'd want to be stuck in an elevator with no but I was thinking they could, yeah, we're gonna get you out, it'll take about two it could take two, three hours. We'll play a movie. What movie would you say you yeah, put it on? This would be your favorite movie kind of thing. <laughs> no doubt. It would be The Temptations. Oh, that, 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 that TV movie.
1: Yep. Uh, it's Yep, The Temptations, man. When I travel, I carry two movies with me. The Godfather and The Temptations. Wow. And that way, I don't care where I go or how long I'm gone or what country I'm in if they don't speak English or whatever, I'm good. Yeah. I got my entertainment. That's wow. how much I love those two movies. I just, um, as a matter of fact, you know, just during Christmas break, my wife always talks about, how do you watch the same thing over and over? <laughs> you know, it drives her crazy. I could not tell you how many times I've seen The Godfather. Yeah. You know, I've seen it and I have it in every configuration. You know, the Godfather, Godfather 2, I don't have three. Okay. Um, yeah. Godfather, the saga, God, the you know, uh, I, Il Padrino. I bought it <laughs> in Rome. You know, I got it in Italian. I, wow. You know, still, when it comes on TV, I'm surfing. I'm going, oh, my God, my Godfather's on <laughs> I, I watched one and two twice over a two-week period while I was on vacation. Watched The Temptations twice. <laughs> I just... I just love. Them. I love those
0: movies, man. But the temptation—how much of? Because I, I love the film, and I loved it based on Otis' um, perspective. It's—I still ha- I have it. It's one of my favorite biopics yeah. ever. How, be, knowing them and being and growing up with them, how true was the biopic f- <sighs> film to, you know? Because you know, we saw about with Paul, you know, the his. his Very tragic story about, you know, the talent he had and and stuff. But when you watch it, does it it seem familiar from what you remember growing up?
1: Well, from what I knew, yes.
0: I didn't know it like Otis did, of course, but but it's
1: his story. It's his story. And uh, I remember talking to Otis. Wow, it was the week it came, the week that it showed on TV for the first time. And uh, I'll never forget this one thing that Otis said. He said, man, you knew rough. That was rough, wasn't it? I said, yeah, man, David Ruffin.
2: Yeah.
1: He said, that he said man, Leon killed that
0: movie. Yeah, Leon, yeah. He yeah, was David
1: Ruffin, man.
0: Felt oh. like David
1: Ruffin could walk into this room. After seeing that movie, you go, man, you ain't David Ruffin. That's David Ruffin. He was that good. Leon was unbelievable. It's yeah, David Ruffin in yeah. that movie. Yeah. So, you know, um, but from the stories that I know, I mean, I don't know, obviously, as much about it as as they do.
0: As they do. But but what Otis
1: tells me, they nailed it. Yeah. I was, uh, when all that was happening, man, I was, and I've told Otis this. I was a kid. I remember being so lost in the Temptations Getting Ready album. Mm. And if you, the cover, you know, they're, like, in the dressing room, getting ready for the stage, you know. I think David's combing his hair, you know popping their collars, I stare at that album seemed like for hours. Wow. Just wanting to be there. God, what must it be like to be them? <laughs> Getting yeah. ready to get on that stage and do what they do, man. Just yeah. Uh, I just love them guys so man. I yeah. Just lost. Just lost, man. Just <laughs> then, so so then all those years later to have them on video soul singing with me. Wow. You know, or to be friends. I mean, I talk to Otis all the time. You know, that's it's my man. Yeah. And
0: uh, to be friends, it's just, you know, again,
1: you don't know how it happened, but I'm glad that it has happened. Yeah. You know, and, yeah.
0: And, uh, the final question then becomes what's your all time favorite song? Because then, if, if they're about to put the movie in, they say, let's put it here. <laughs> Ooh, baby, baby. Smokey
1: Robinson and the Miracles. Wow. Ooh, baby, baby. I, I mean, it has never changed. It never will change. It's too late to change now. It's yeah. been 45 years it's <laughs> or no, probably 50, 50, Ooh, baby, baby, is just such a great song to me, man. I've loved it all my life. And to me, it's the perfect example of that Motown writing mm. um, and a lesson in life that sometimes less is more. You know, it was so concise. I mean, I did you wrong. My heart went out to play, but in the game, I lost you. What a price to pay. Mm. I'm crying. boo baby, baby. (laughs) I mean, that's amazing. Uh, Mistakes. I've made a few, but I'm only human. You've made mistakes, too. I'm crying. That's a verse.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, my God, man. To be able to write that good, that concisely to have... That few words say so much. Yeah. Smokey, man. Smokey. Yeah. One of a kind. I, I was telling Otis this. We talked, uh, this was last week. Just last week we were talking. And uh, I was telling him how whenever my phone starts ringing off the hook, you know, my home phone and my cell phone, where you know something's going on, and it's newsrooms calling me to get comment, I know. The death of a music star. So mm. every, and I told Smokey this because I told Otis. I said, I told Smokey this in my podcast. That it may be a strange thing to say, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. I said, but every time that happens, Smokey, my first thought is always, please don't be Smokey. Wow. Every time. Every time, man. And he said, man, baby, I appreciate that. It tells me how much you love me, man. And I do, you know. Uh, wow, well, this is a weird story too. But I once thought Otis was dead uh, here in America. I, I got up one Sunday morning and uh, getting ready to go run. I turn on the TV and there is you see on the news that Otis Williams of the Temptations died. Wow, and I go, what? So I go online. And there is this picture with an end date and everything. Man, it just took me out. So about an hour, hour and a half later, I said, well, I'm gonna go down to the canal to run. I need to get my work out here. I'm gonna go and do that. Man, I cried all up and down <laughs> the canal for five miles, just running and crying. And I got back home and I said, something's weird about this because another one of the Temptations had just died a, like a week and a half or two prior to that. So I go back online and do a little research. Come to find out what had happened was the Temptation who died, his middle name was Otis. And somebody got it all confused and had Otis Williams of the Temptations. Ah. <laughs> it was the weirdest day because, you know, how we all feel like you wish that a loved one would come, could come back. Yeah. that happened to me, he came back. You know, he wasn't dead. I was, oh, my God. And so that night at 8 o'clock, I'm sitting here, man, in my office, and I go, how in the world did you cry all up and down that canal today thinking that Otis is dead and not call him? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's here. All that feeling, you just, so I called him. And he said, Donnie, this is the eighth call I have like this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I told him how I cried. He said, but you know, man, tells me how much you love me, man. I yeah. appreciate that, man. Yeah, I do.
0: <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I think on that, it's the one thing I want to pick from that is to always, you know, make people be aware while they're still around because you don't want to wait until they go and then we do this massive tribute. But why yeah, not I celebrate we, them today? You know, when like, I think about you.
1: Instead of saying, man, telling you when you call me, I was thinking about you. I said, I can prove it. How can you prove it? I called you. <laughs> 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 There's the proof. I called you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very important, man. Reach out. You know, and I think that during this pandemic, that that is something that became crystal clear for a lot of people, man. Yeah. Made us focus on uh, our loved ones and what's really important in life. You yeah. Know? I think I, I view that as a silver
0: lining in yeah. all of this. Yeah. Yeah. No, so where can we get the the? You've got a podcast. I mean, especially if you have international audience, because most of us are outside. Is yeah. your podcast available on YouTube? As your yes, can we? Okay. Yeah, yeah, you can go on YouTube. As a matter of
1: fact, um we have more YouTube viewers of it than the, the, the guy that I'm partnering with is telling me that it's very unusual because usually most podcasts are. To. Listen to. Yeah. Uh, in my case, he said, people want to watch you. They watch your podcast. So, yeah, yeah YouTube is, is where you can find it. it is, uh the Donnie Simpson Show. That's the Donnie, Simpson Show. Donnie okay.
0: Simpson Show. Okay. But then if, you have Apple, if you're on Apple and, and Google and, and stuff, you can, you can download the, the, the Donnie Simpson Show podcast.
1: Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And then, uh, of
0: course, Video Soul, Video, Soul. Video Soul is on Tubi, Tubi right now. We're going broader soon. And and we'll get to know about the if, if that's those other streamer services might be available um, this year over 2022. You're hoping to get it in, in oh, more yeah, market? Yeah. It'll be, it'll,
1: it will be this year, hopefully first quarter.
0: Okay. okay, that's what we're working
1: towards.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, as as I mentioned, it's been it's 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 been a great honor for me, you know, because I've I started doing this stuff during the pandemic um, as a therapist, trying to way, uh, find a way of of just doing something because we couldn't do anything we we're all sitting at home so I just thought well let me just start just do start doing this and and it, yeah. and it has grown and 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 most of the time because of DJ Cassidy's past the mic I started celebrating 90s R&B acts and being able to interview them and and they're always the one thing I always used to try and model myself on was to remembering how you used to sit down and make people feel relaxed and and, and most of my stuff is always about their journey. And uh, I, I don't ask them about, you know, the, I don't ask about the music as much as them and how they yeah. navigated because I, I saw how successful you were at being, getting to know people and they became relaxed and we got to see them and stuff. So it's been a true honor for me to to be doing this and sitting next to you, know talking to you, who is really um, a, a legend in in this, and and you know, and it's not just flattery, but this is something that, as I said, you've really blessed a lot of us, you know, especially for me coming to America in '92. I left in 2003, but it was it was it, it, you know it was always an honor yeah. watching you on TV and just seeing how you just make people feel welcomed and that, and that's that's a that's a gift, you know. It's, it's a pure, true gift which we're, we're, we're blessed to be able to receive.
1: Well, well, well thank you so much for that. I, I really appreciate it. But I want to tell you this, that when I was first presented with the I, um, uh, invite to come on and do your show, um, there were a couple of shows that they sent so I could see what it was. Okay. And I felt the same thing about you. You know, I was like, absolutely. I want to do this. And it was because of your personality, man, because of the warmth that I saw, um, the episode I saw with you and Don Robinson in particular, okay. you know? Um, yeah. I, I was like, I-, I-, I love this guy. I mean, he's just, you, you, you have that same thing, man. just a down to earth, warm approach to it. So if you're giving me any credit, card, <laughs> I i appreciate that. I'm honored. But, uh Man, if it, it, you you have that same gift, so I hope you continue to do it, man, and to uh, to bless us all with it. Yeah, you know. We
0: can do that. Oh, thank you very much, Donny. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for watching. Please remember to subscribe to the channel, but most importantly, to press the notification bell so that you can be notified when we do have a new interview. Loads to come, but thanks a lot for watching.